we have learned the most wonderful truth there is. Uh, how can a person, one, one, a person say one truth is more wonderful than another? When we realize that it is in our hands to put those things into our minds that will make us grow spiritually. And as I said, I've said this many times, and I suppose I'll continue to say it. The great majority of professed Christians are only Christians by wishful thinking. I hope this will happen, and I wish that would happen. It doesn't come that way. There's no more value of wishing you were a Christian than there is wishing you had something to eat when you don't have anything to eat. It's by doing something. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against thee. You see, I've shared this with you, I'm sure. Uh, I think I shared it in the early classes, but let me share it with you again. Uh, volume 3, page 363. Uh, many of these references I've put down in my, I've put them in the flyleaf of my Bible because they're so, they're so vital to our experience. This is 363. It's a chapter appeal to the young. You all have an influence for good or for evil on the minds and characters of others. And just the influence which you exert is written in the book of records in heaven. Let me say right here. Now, we have the Bible, and, and uh, we need to study the Bible. I think that our time should be balanced probably half and half. That's what I'm trying to do. I told you that I'm, I made, a, I made a, a promise to the Lord that I'm going to spend an hour a day in the Bible and Spirit of Prophecy, and I've been, I've been trying to do it, and, and it takes a real effort to do it. You say, where do you find it? Well, maybe you can't find it all at one time. But we are going to have to set some priorities in our lives if we're going to make it. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Now, I just hope this will happen, hope that will happen. We have an influence on people. And that influence is much more, uh, much more effective than we think. An angel is attending you and taking record of your words and actions. When you rise in the morning, do you feel your helplessness and your need of strength from God? And do you humbly, heartily make known your wants to your Heavenly Father? Are you hungry spiritually when you wake up in the morning? I don't imagine most of us uh, miss our meals, do we? Do you have any problem not getting to meals, any of you? Or do you, just make, do, you just, do you just make arrangements to have time to do it? You know, well, I'll, let me read this, and then I'll read you something else. When you arise in the morning, do you feel your helplessness and your need of strength from God? And do you humbly, heartily make known your wants to your Heavenly Father? If so, angels mark your prayers. And if these prayers have not gone forth out of feigned lips... Now, what does feigned lips mean? That means that we're honest with God. We're not playing games. We're not just saying something for effect. If so, angels mark your prayers. And if these prayers have not gone forth out of feigned lips... When you are in danger of unconsciously doing wrong. Of what? And exerting an influence that will lead others to do wrong, your guardian angel will be by your side, prompting you to a better course, choosing your words for you and influencing your actions. 
Did you ever come to the place where you'd slipped into something and you were already in it and you didn't know how you got there? That happens to us all the time, doesn't it? Let's recognize that this is coming. Now, you were saying that uh, there's a change in your life to real when you realize that God's in control. Look, folks, we're not in a world that's haphazard and everything going topsy-turvy. Everything in this world is under perfect control. God is surrounding each one of us by the, with the very circumstances we need. From eternity, He has planned our life. He's planned the circumstances of our life. And that little statement, let me just stop here and read this statement from uh, Mount of Blessing. It's uh, page 116 in my book. Page 76, according to the index. You may, uh, you probably your book is paged according to this, uh, according to the index. It says, God has made provision that we may become like unto Him. He's what? And He will accomplish this for all who do not interpose a perverse will and thus frustrate His grace. Now, folks, just think what that promise means, that God has made provision that we should what? Be like Him. And He will do this for all who do not do what? Interpose a perverse will. Did you ever, were you ever just quietly doing nothing and something said to you, you ought to read your Bible? And then something else says, but I have a lot of things to do. Do you ever have experiences like this? And did you ever have experience where you knew you were supposed to go and talk to somebody and say something to encourage? And do we always do it? Unfortunately, we don't. We are going to have to come to the place where we recognize the communication that's coming to us. Do you remember we studied in divine guidance that when we get to heaven we're going to recognize our guardian angels by their voices? Then if we, if we, become, if we recognize them by their voices, where are we going to get acquainted with them? Here, we have much more communication with God than we ever realized if we would just stop to think about it. As you're studying the Bible, as you're studying the spirit of prophecy, do things come to your mind? You see, this is all, all of this is written out uh, in this little book, Mount of Blessing. Now, I tell you what I, uh, what I think, I don't know whether you folks can do it or not. But I, I have Mount of Blessing and Steps to Christ and Desire of Ages and Ministry of Healing and Great Controversy all on tape. And when I'm traveling, if there isn't something else that has to be done, I like to listen to these tapes. And, and I ha I've done it less here than I have anywhere because I'm always around different places. But when I was on regular work, I had, some ta I had something going. I have the New Testament on tape. Let me tell you, if we would bombard our minds with spiritual truths, something would happen to us. I just went on a trip, and I was with some folks, and they were talking, and they were telling, going over old experiences. Well, telling about what happened, and how this person said that, and that person said this. And I just said, now look, folks. The Apostle Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind and what? 
reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark. There are a lot of things we just as well forget. If the Lord brings it to our mind, it says we should look to the hole from whence we're digged, you understand? But to go back and rehash and live over experiences, either good or bad, is, there's, no advantage, there's no advantage to it. We are to keep our minds on things that will, what? Build us up. By beholding, we become changed. And if we had some method, I, I don't know how we can work this out, but if we had some method so that we could continually bombard our minds with truth, uh, this little statement uh, I started to tell you, well, uh, I don't know the reason for it. I can't explain it. But when you listen to something, it affects a different sense from when you read it. And I've been listening to Mount of Blessing, and I've, I suppose I've listened to Mount of Blessing, I'd say, 40 times. I don't know how many times. And every time I listen to it, it's a new book. You can't absorb it. You remember the statement I read that one sentence of Scripture is worth more than what? You remember what it was? 10,000 of man's ideas or arguments. 10,000. Well, anyway, and so I said to these folks, I, I wanted to be kind, but I said, look, there's no use living that over again. It's gone. There are a lot of things I don't want to live over again. And most of the experiences of life, I don't care about going over them again. How much time of our, of our lives is spent in unprofitable conversation that is of no value whatsoever? Do you think we waste a lot of time doing that? Folks, we need to spend more time in getting the truths into our minds that build us up spiritually. Well, anyway, this is on page, uh, I'll give you the page in the index, page 20 of Mount of Blessing. The words of God are the wellsprings of life. Are the what? As you seek unto those living springs, you will, through the Holy Spirit, be brought into communion with Christ. Into what? People say, well, we pray, I want, to, I want to be more Christ-like. I want to have more time with Christ. Well, when we are dealing with inspiration, we're dealing with Christ Himself. That's how we get acquainted with Him. It's through the mediums, not through just wishing He would or praying that He would. It's, he is in the Word. He's the living Word. Familiar truths will present themselves to your mind in a new aspect. Texts of Scripture will burst upon you with a new meaning as a flash of light. You will see the relation of other truths to the work of redemption and you will know that Christ is leading you. A divine teacher is by your side. Now, you've all had those experiences, haven't you? Well, don't we need more of them? You see, when our mind is at rest, it begins to feed on those things that we put into it. And our mind will go as a homing pigeon to those things that we consider most important. Where does your mind go when you turn it loose? What does it go toward? What comes into your mind when you turn it loose and it's, when it's turned loose and it's not absolutely absorbed in what you're having day by day? Now the next paragraph says, Jesus said, The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water spring up into everlasting life. As the Holy Spirit opens to you the truth, you will treasure up the most precious experiences and will long to speak to others of the comforting things that have been revealed to you. 
we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, aren't we? What are we talking about now? You see, it's how it's our work and our relation to the Scriptures and our relation to nature that brings us what? Experiences. And we will tell people about what? Our experiences because they have been precious experiences. When brought into association with them, you will communicate some fresh thought in regard to the character or work of Christ. You will have some fresh revelation of His pitying love to impart to those who love Him and those who love Him not. Now, where does this come from? It's the Holy Spirit putting these truths together in the right relationship. But in order for it to do that, they must be stored in our minds. Now, back to this statement that I was reading. I, I didn't read the last part of it. Remember, this was about when we start out our, our day in the morning, we should recognize that we're going to have problems that day, we're going, to have, we're going to need help. And so when we start out, we should ask what? Ask God to help have our guardian angel give us the right words to say at the right time. Now, notice, you say, well, isn't he going to do it anyway? No, he is not. Jesus said, ask and what? Seek and ye shall what? It doesn't come. He just doesn't give them to us just because uh, we need them. Because we wouldn't appreciate them. Now, the time is coming when we get over on the other side that before he call, we call, what's he going to do? He's going to answer. Now, you understand now he does many wonderful things. But I've had him do things for me that I didn't have sense enough to ask about. If you feel no danger and if you offer no prayer for help and strength to resist the temptations, you will be sure to go astray. You what? Now, when do we need to recognize this? In the morning, before we see anyone, before we have any contact with people. Remember that the devil's on our track and we need strength for that day. And if we recognize our need and ask him, then he will give us help if we neglect it and do not ask him what's the, what it says is going to happen to us you will be sure to go astray your neglect of duty will be marked against marked in the book of heaven and you will be found wanting in the trying day that's 363 364 volume 3 all right now i'd like to challenge you all to read it to read a chapter in the bible and to read it and read it often i think maybe i told you this story but it won't hurt i'll tell it to you again there was a young minister who had been in the ministry a while and he just wasn't accomplishing anything he just wasn't getting anywhere he didn't have any spiritual life or spiritual power. So he went to an old minister and said, Is there anything that I can do so I can have spiritual power? Will you tell me, will you help me, tell me how to study, tell me how to do something? And the old minister says, Young man, you pick out any, any book you want to in the Bible and read it through 25 times. And he thought that was kind of foolish. 
But the 23rd time he read it, the Lord broke through to him. And he became a man of great power. We're not persistent. If we were dropped out in the middle of a body of water, how long would you keep swimming to get to shore? How long? Just as long as you had any strength, wouldn't you? Why? Well, your life depends on it. And folks, we're dropped in the ocean of sin. And it's going to take a struggle to get out. And it's not going to come hoping or wishing. It's going to come because we are consistent and persistent. I'm reading the book of Jeremiah through. I... I made a promise that to myself that I was going to read it through every week for a while. I, it's too long to read it through one time, so I, I'm uh, two-thirds through it this week. And uh, I just, just read a verse, and, and it really encouraged me because I enjoy reading it. And I'll tell you, folks, if we just read... This is our Sabbath school lesson, you know, for the next three months. If we would really... If we would really come to the place where we would just grasp what's in Jeremiah... And Jeremiah is a real important book because it is a prophecy of what we face. Folks, we're going into captivity just as surely as Israel went into captivity. And we have more idols than they ever thought of having. Do you agree with me or don't you? Don't we have idols in every corner of our heart? Yes. Absolutely. And I just believe that the Lord is going to have to permit us to go into captivity even if we endeavor to give our hearts to Him and serve Him. But the book of Jeremiah was written because the people couldn't learn it any other way. And they went into captivity. And I want you to know that we are going into captivity before this is all over. Don't ever forget it. I read the statement to to the Mountain View people that the time was going to come when they were going to be greatly scattered. Do you remember that? And it says some of you are going to be taken to remote places. But the Lord will have a work there for you to do. Do you think that we're going on just like we're going now? Everything going fine, routinely, everything under control? Do you think we're going through just like that? Let me tell you. uh, Well, uh, I started to talk to you about something. I, I kind of got sidetracked a little bit. I told you about this minister uh, reading this book through 25 times. I wish all of you would take the sixth chapter of John and read it through until you really begin to understand what it's talking about. And have you know what the sixth chapter of John is? It's the discourse that Jesus gave when most of the people that were following him left him. And he said to the disciples, Are you going to leave me too? And you know what Peter said? Well, Peter says to this this effect, Well, we would, but we don't know where to go. I mean, this is what he was really saying. You have the words of life. We don't know anywhere else to go. And why did these people leave him? Because they realized that he was not there to give them a temporal kingdom. And that his kingdom was a spiritual kingdom. And what was the great problem with the Jewish people? What was the, why, why did the Jews reject Christ? Huh? 
They wanted a temporal kingdom. But Jesus came to set up what kind of a kingdom? Spiritual. A spiritual kingdom. Did you know today that Seventh-day Adventists are looking for a temporal kingdom? Jesus is coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And I've had people say, well, praise the Lord. I hope he comes soon. We don't know what we're talking about. We haven't the slightest idea what we're talking about. Yeah. Listen, folks, the spiritual kingdom is still in operation. And we go into the kingdom of glory through the kingdom of what? Through the kingdom of grace. Through the spiritual kingdom. Unless we're translated into his spiritual kingdom, we'll never be translated into the kingdom of glory. In the book Education... There's a chapter called The Life Work. Oh, there's so many, many of these things that I just, if we would just study. Uh, the more I study, the more I realize how much, how little we, we really grasp. Now, folks, I'm not up here trying to tell you how bad we all are and, or anything about it. I just say, folks, we don't realize what we face. We haven't any concept of what's right ahead of us. Suddenly, it's going to everything turn over. And it isn't going to be like we think it is at all. The statement in Volume 5 says, If the Lord has ever spoken by me, the time will come when we'll have to stand individually and alone to answer for our faith. Are we ready to stand individually and alone? Yes. Yeah. Right. On page 263 of the book Education, to every household and every school, to every parent, teacher, and child who's left, who's it talking to? Upon whom is shown, of the light, shown the light of the gospel comes at this crisis the question put to Esther the queen at that momentous crisis in Israel's history, who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Those who think of the result of hastening or hindering the gospel think of it in relation to themselves and to the world. How many of you really want the Lord to come? I'm not going to ask for your hand, but how, how many just, just, just really think about it in your heart? Do you really want the Lord to come? Why do you want Him to come? Well, I've had a lot of people say, I wish the Lord would come. I'm tired of this mess. I want to get out of it. Isn't that really the reason why most people want the Lord to come? Well, sure it is. But I want you to notice what this says. Most people think of the coming of Christ in relation to who? Themselves. Few think of its relation to God. Few give thought to the suffering that sin has caused our Creator. All heaven suffered in Christ's agony, but that suffering did not begin nor end with His manifestation in humanity. The cross is a revelation to our 
dull senses of the pain that from its very inception sin has caused the heart of God. Sin is brought to the heart of God. Every departure from right, every deed of cruelty, every failure of humanity to reach his ideal brings grief to him. When there came upon Israel the calamities that were the sure result of separation from God, subjugation by their enemies, cruelty and death, it is said that his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and he buried them, buried, and, he buried them and carried them all the days of old. Or as the whole creation groaneth and travaileth together in pain, the heart of the infinite Father is pained in sympathy. Our world is a vast Lazar house, a scene of misery that we dare not allow even our thoughts to dwell upon. Did we realize it as it is, the burden would be too terrible. Yet God feels it all. Any of you work up in the sand down? Any of you work in the hospital? Well, there are several of you. How would you like to have all the pains up there accumulated in you? Would you like it? Well, how would you like to have all the pain of this world accumulated in you? You know what would happen to us? Oh, we die. Suddenly. Immediately. Yet God feels it all. In order to destroy sin and its result, He gave His results, He gave His best beloved. And he has put it in our power through cooperation with him to bring this scene of misery to an end. Did you ever stop to realize that Seventh-day Adventists are responsible for two world wars? Yeah. It could have ended in 1888. Is that right or isn't it? Did you know those who know the truth are going to have to give an account for what's happened in the world since that time? Did you ever think about it that way? Yeah. Now, why didn't the Lord come? People weren't ready. I wasn't back there. I wasn't there. None of us were here. That's beyond our day. But we're here now. And we have not gone one 40 years wandering in the wilderness. We're in the fourth 40 years. Three have already passed, haven't they? Since 1844. The Lord could have come in 1844. Now the 40 took us from 48 to took us to 1888. And now we've gone on beyond that. We're in our fourth 40 years. Well, somebody's going to wake up. And I tell you, folks, people are waking up today everywhere. Everywhere they're waking up. But the tragedy is going to be if I don't wake up, as far as I'm concerned. Did you ever read in the Bible about the wrath of the Lamb? Do you know what the wrath... Did you ever see an angry lamb? That's a strange statement. He is going to be the 
lion of the tribe of Judah to the wicked. He's the lamb of God to his people. But to his people who have not accepted him and let him carry out his plan in them, it's going to be the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? And there's, there's a, a divine illustration in Desire of Ages. It tells about how parents would feel if uh, their child was dying in the snow and somebody came by and saw it and went and left it die. Did you ever read that? And it says, how would the parents feel? It says, this is the way God feels about us. And the reason, folks, really, that we don't do anymore is because we don't have any more. Really, that's it, isn't it? We give what we have. And we need to ask God that, to give us more in order that we may have more to share. And that we take time to share. Now, going on with this in, in education... It says, in order to destroy sin and its results, he gave his best beloved and he has put it in our power through cooperation with him to bring this scene of misery to an end. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature is Christ's command to his followers. Not that all are called to be ministers or missionaries in the ordinary sense of, of the term, but all may be workers with him in giving the glad tidings to their fellow men, to all, great or small, learned or ignorant, old or young, the command is given. In view of this command, can we educate our sons and daughters for a life of respectable conventionality? Of what? Are you interested in education of respectable conventionality? What is respectable conventionality? Oh, two cars in the garage and two chickens in the pot. You understand. I mean, everything uh, fine and going on real good. I'm not trying to say something funny. You understand what I mean? Respectable. Just everything like it is. And if anything happens to us out of the ordinary, we complain to high heaven. Don't we really? The circumstances that God wants to put us in to get us ready, we are not happy with. But folks, we don't do well under good circumstances. Have you already found that out? The Lord has to lower the boom on me to get me to do very much. I don't do well under ordinary circumstances. Do you? Every warning, reproof, and entreaty in the Word of God or through His delegated messengers is a knock at the door of the heart. It is the voice of Jesus asking for entrance. Every time I read the Word, every time someone speaks, then that is what? The voice of Jesus asking for entrance. With every knock unheeded, your determination to open grows weaker. If the voice of Jesus is not heeded at once, it becomes confused in the mind with a multitude of other voices. The world's care and business encroach the attention. Conviction dies away. The heart becomes less impressible and laps into a, lapses into a perilous unconsciousness of the shortness of time and of the great eternity beyond. Yes. Yeah. That's volume 7, 7 B.C., 967. 
They all work together. The Holy They're used interchangeably. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. The Holy Spirit teaches. The angels, they work as a heavenly team. And you won't find any distinction between them. But we know when the voice is speaking to us, don't we? We recognize it. And after all, who is the one that directs it all? Jesus is the one that's directing. Do you notice what it says? It says in the Word of God, it says, If the voice of Jesus is not what? Heard is not heeded at once. It is confused in the mind with a multitude of other voices. All right? Now, I wanted to get into a little bit about nature, but I, I, we're not going to get into it. I hope I gave you a, some reading. Will you, will you all really study the sixth chapter of John? I hope we will. Because it was in this that Jesus says, You must eat my flesh and do what? Drink my blood. And we think of the ordinances. This is, this is wonderful. We have a good experience. We can do this every day. And he just ends up by, after the people had all left and they were just all, they were all upset. And then he explained to the disciples, it says, The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. This, the Bible, the spirit of prophecy, this is the testimony of Jesus. This is the Word of God. All these books in here are the testimony of Jesus. This is Jesus speaking, and He is the living Word. In fact, uh, I want to read a little bit uh, here, I think. Uh, now you say, what does nature have to do with it? Well, nature, we've talked about this, is a revelation of God. In its original perfection, all created things were an expression of God's thought. But we, we discussed that there has come in evil. And I want, to, uh, I want to go over this once more. The reason that we can't depend on nature today, the reason we have to have the Word of God, is because nature uh, is confusing because of the mixture of good and evil. And uh, some of you remember this. Let me see how many of you remember it. Adam and Eve in the beginning had something that enabled them to understand God in nature. What was it? It was the garment of light that surrounded them. And this garment of light illuminated everything they approached. You'll find this in, uh, in volume 8, page 255. And as soon as they sinned, what happened to this light? It disappeared. This light was a symbol of God's presence. And we've already studied that man was capable, was created with the relationship to God that he could have more of God in him than other beings. That's why he is going to have a special relationship to God because he was especially made for the dwelling place of God in a real special way. And so when he lost his relation to God, he immediately began to die. You see, nobody's died in this universe but human beings as far as Beings are concerned, lots of animals, of course, and all the things in this earth. But the angels never died. I don't suppose they'd ever die. But man, without God, immediately began to die. First, the first uh, generations lived over 900 years, almost a 1,000 years, and then as they got farther away from the tree of life. says the reason they lived so long is because Adam had eaten of the tree of life and the, and the effects were still on him. But, of course, we come down now to where we have a life expectancy of 70, something like that. But anyway, uh, this, this, when they lost the life of God, they lost everything. 
And you see, because man had a special relationship with God, he has a special deadly danger because the place that was taken by God has been filled by who? By Satan. You see, we're not free beings. We are either under the control of Satan or we're under the control of God. And if we don't accept the control of God, we are under the control of Satan. There's nothing between. God, Christ, has to cast out Satan. All right? Now, as soon as they lost this light, they could no longer discern God in nature. Now, there's some things in here about uh, that you'll be interested in. You know, uh, people say, well, how do you understand nature? Well, it takes a divine teacher to enable us to understand nature. Now, it's not important... Uh, as far as God is concerned, uh, although this is good, but uh, the difference, it is. Some people think they study nature when they know the difference between a wall and a tree and an oak tree. Well, you should know the difference between a wall and a tree and an oak tree, especially if you're looking for walnuts, but uh, uh, there's, no, there's nothing. You understand, that's not. I went through science and I majored in biology, I minored in biology, but I never got anything spiritual out of it. I studied how to to, you know, uh, find the different species and, and all the things that went with it. But there was nothing spiritual about it. Do you know where you're going to get the spiritual lessons from nature? Well, we need to study the Word of God, but we're going to get them in nature. As we commune with God. Now, this says, apart from Christ, this is 257, apart from Christ, well, uh, go back to 256, we need a divine teacher in order that the world might not remain in darkness in eternal spiritual night. God met us in Jesus Christ. And Christ is the, the, is the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. The light of Christ illuminating our understanding and shining upon the face of nature enables us still to read the lessons of God's love in His created works. Then who only can read God's lessons in nature? The people who have a relationship with Jesus. It's a spiritual lesson. It's not something that we learn by uh, just like you learn anything else. Uh, in fact, in Christ's object lessons, uh, I'm reading from volume 8, page 256. There's a statement in here that's a very interesting statement. I think I can find it. Christ's Object Lessons. As the works of God are studied. As what? Now what are we studying? What? Nature. The Holy Spirit flashes conviction into the mind. What does? Holy Spirit. It is not the conviction that logical reasoning produces. You see, we don't study the Scriptures like we study geometry, algebra, or history. We come to the Scriptures saying, Lord, what do you have for me in this? And what, who becomes the teacher? We don't, we don't wrestle with this like we wrestle with a mathematical problem. You understand? We come to it trying to grasp the things of God, but we, it's a different thing. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. It is not the conviction that logical reasoning produces, but unless the mind has become too dark to know God, the eye too dim to see Him, the ear too dull to hear His voice, 
A deeper meaning is grasped, and the sublime spiritual truths of the written word are impressed on the heart. Then if you and I want to understand nature and get God's truths out of it, we're going to have to come to him and ask him for instruction. You know, when Jesus was here and he learned all the wonderful things that he learned, uh, he got them where? Now, we think that when we want to understand nature, where, do you, where, where would you go? Well, you go to a laboratory and you'd study. Or, you see, the problem is, folks, and don't ever forget it, the problem is that we all want to learn from somebody else. And education for generations back has been somebody imparting some knowledge to people that somebody else has dug out. But we will never get truth until we realize that it comes from God's lesson books. Not from people. God's lesson books. And what are the lesson books? Useful work, scriptures in nature, and what? The experiences of life. These are God's lesson books. Now, I just want you to notice uh, what happened to Jesus when he was a boy. Yeah? 24. There, in the chapter in Desire of Ages, as a child, this is page 70, Desire of Ages, page 70, the question asked during the Savior's ministry, how knoweth this man letters, having never learned, does not indicate that Jesus was unable to read, but merely that he had not received a rabbinical education. Since he gained knowledge as we may do, these are very beautiful and enlightening statements since he gained knowledge as we what? May do. His intimate acquaintance with the scriptures shows how diligently his early years were given to the study of God's word. The inspired words that he gave to the prophets to write as God he had to learn as a child from the writings. Since he gained knowledge as we may do, his intimate acquaintance with the Scripture shows how diligently his early years were given to the study of God's Word, and spread out before him was the great library of God's created works. He who had made all things studied the lessons which his own hand had written in earth and sea and sky. What he made as God he had to learn as a child, as we, not as we do, but as we what? May do. May do. That's right. Apart from the unholy ways of the world, he gathered stores of scientific knowledge from nature. He studied the life of plants and animals and the life of man. You know, Ellen G. White was a great educator in all lines, and she talks much about breathing, breathing from your abdomen, you know. And uh, you've probably had lessons in this. And somebody said, Sister White, where did you learn to breathe? And you know what she said? She said, I watched the animals. Well, how many of us ever watched animals breathe to learn how to breathe? You see, we don't see things. But we would if what? We had the same teacher he had. This is all spiritual truth. He studied the life of plants and animals and the life of man. From his earliest years, he was possessed of but one purpose. He lived to bless others. 
For this he found resources in nature. New ways and means flashed into his mind. How did it come? You know, uh, I don't know how many of you noticed this, but if you're in studying the Spirit of Prophecy, have you ever noticed how many times it talks about flashes coming to your mind? Flashes coming to your mind? It flashed into his mind? Well, where do these flashes come from? After all, that's the way we think. Thinking is pictures. Things flashing to our mind. And if we're susceptible to the Holy Spirit, we'll have these flashes. As we're studying the Scriptures, new ideas flash into our minds. New truths come together in relationship to each other. You've had these experiences, haven't you? And we may know that who's by our side? A divine teacher is by our side. Continually he was seeking to draw thing from things seen, illustrations by which to present the living oracles of God. Now, I don't know how many times I've said in this class, and I don't know how many times I've said it, I'll continue to say it, and it probably you'll get tired of hearing me say it. Christianity is not wishful thinking. And all my life I thought it was. Practically all my life I thought that. I just made resolutions and I was going to do this and I was going to do that, and I just totally failed. Any of you ever have these experiences? Christianity is scientific. If you want to know how you get spiritual growth, just stop and think how you get physical growth. If we live physically as haphazardly and as foolishly as we do spiritually, we've none of us ever been adults. We'd have starved to death when we were children. Is that right or isn't it? I eat systematically. Do you? I mean physically. Do you eat spiritually systematically? Just as systematically? Are you just as... Is it just as important? I told you I was reading Jeremiah and I never read the text that I was going to read to you. In the 15th chapter of Jeremiah in the 16th verse, Thy words were found and I did eat them. I did what? Eat them. And they were, thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord of hosts. And you know Job. You know what he said right at the time when he was, he was having all these boils and he was in a terrible condition? Uh, he, he has a beautiful thought about God's word. Job 23, 12. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my what? Necessary food. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That's uh, Job 23, 12. Is that what I said? Yeah, Job 23, 12. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter, first chapter, starting with the 22nd verse, first chapter, 22nd verse, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, 
See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all places is grass, and all the glory of, the, of man is as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower of thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. First Peter 2, starting, that's second verse. As what? How often are we babes? Huh? Every morning. God's plan is that we should be born again every morning. And we start out every morning as a baby. We need to be converted every day. Yesterday will not take care of us. It's today that I must have it. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but the Word of God. And this says, as newborn babes desire the what? Sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones or as living stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. You see, this uses the beautiful Experience of the temple. You've all read it. You all know what happened when Solomon built his temple. What happened? Everything was made in the quarry. Everything made the perfect specifications. They must have had tremendous uh, architects and blueprints and everything back there. I, I just don't... Uh, they must have had a knowledge of building that we don't know anything about because I'm a builder. And, uh, of course, they have pre-cut pre houses today, but they're not that kind of a building. They, everything was cut in the quarry. They brought it down there and put it together and it says there wasn't a sound of a graving tool. And so today in the quarry of this world, God is hewing out the stones. And he knows just how much to be hewed off. He knows just what it takes to fit. And one of these, one of these days, the temple's going together, a living temple, every stone having a perfect fit. Everybody has a place. Didn't we learn that? There's a place on earth for us. There's a place in heaven for us. And our place on earth it prepares us for the place in heaven. Now, we just have a few more minutes. I want to go on in volume 8. I wish, you'd, I wish you would read this. There's a chapter in here in volume 8. Uh, I started on page 255. It's called The Essential Knowledge. Now, if you don't have time to read all these, it's all right. But uh, these, all of these are such wonderful. There's some... There's, uh, they're, Wonderful things. 255 it starts. I just want to read a, I want to read a few uh, uh, statements in here. Uh, on 258 is, is the section, The Work of Creation. The work of creation can never be explained by science, 
What science can explain the mystery of life? The theory that God did not create matter when he brought the world into existence is without foundation. In the formation of our world, God was not indebted to pre-existing matter. When I studied science, one of the first thing I I learned was that that matter cannot be created or destroyed. Any of you learn that? Well, that's true as far as scientists are concerned, but not with God. I can't explain how God can speak and matter comes into existence. Can you explain that? I can't explain it. In fact, there aren't many things I can't explain. On the contrary, all things material or spiritual stood up before the Lord Jehovah at his voice. (laughs) On the contrary, all things material or spiritual stood up before the Lord Jehovah at his voice and were created for his own purpose. The heavens and all the hosts of them, the earth and all things therein are not only the work of his hand, they came into existence by the breath of his mouth. Now it says, in dwelling upon the laws of matter and the laws of nature, many lose sight of if they do not deny the continual and direct agency of God. They convey the idea that nature acts independently. You know, we discussed this about, and I gave you a reference to the Ministry of Healing. Well, here's another very interesting reference. They convey the idea that nature acts independently of God, having in and of itself its own limits and its own powers wherewith to work. In their minds, there's a marked distinction between the natural and the supernatural. The natural is ascribed to ordinary causes unconnected with the power of God. Vital power is attributed to nature and to matter, and nature is made a deity. It is supposed that matter is placed in certain relations and left to act from fixed laws which, with which God himself cannot interfere. Did you ever read that the law of gravitation holds everything in space? Everything goes in this orderly uh, circuit around some other planet, and everything revolves. Well, it does. But it's not because God just puts something there in the desert. Notice what this says. This is false science. There is nothing in the Word of God to sustain it. God does not annul His laws, but He is continually working through them, using them as His instruments. They are not self-working. God is perpetually at work in nature. She is His servant, directed as He pleases. Nature in her work testifies by the intel- of the intelligence presence and active agency of a being who moves in all his works according to his will. It is not by an original power inherent in nature that year by year the earth yields its bounties and continues its march around the sun. The hand of infinite power is perpetually at work guiding this planet. It is God's power momentarily exercised that keeps it in its position and its rotation. The God of heaven is constantly at work. It is by his power that vegetation is caused to flourish, that every leaf appears, every flower blooms, every drop of rain or flake of snow, every spire of grass, every leaf and flower and shrub testifies of God. These little things so common to us teach the lesson that nothing is beneath the notice of the infinite God no, th- nothing is too small for his attention. When I see a flower and I realize that God personally made that to bloom, then I say, does he want to do something with me? In the book Sons and Daughters of God, I, I don't remember the page, but I'll tell you the reference. It says God's blessing is in proportion to our scale in creation. If he takes care of the little brown sparrow, 
and not one falls without his notice, what will he do to the people who are created in his image, who were created for fellowship with him? Now notice it comes to the next, the human mechanism. The mechanism of the human body cannot be fully understood. It presents mysteries that baffle the most intelligent. It is not the result of a mechanism which once set in motion continues its work that the pulse beats and breath follows breath. In God we live and move and have our being. Every breath, every throb of the heart is a continual evidence of the power of an ever-present God. And you know, uh, I won't take time to read it here. Well, I, maybe I will. I've got just two or three minutes. This, this to me is tremendous. Did you know that God, that man wasn't made like the animals? Did you know that? Did you know man was made in a special way? I want you to notice this. In the creation of man was manifest the agency of a personal God. When God had made man in his image, the image was perfect in all its arrangements. It says the Lord God formed man of the dust of the earth. Can you see those beautiful hands of God making this intricate mechanism? And then after he's done it, he gives him the kiss of life. He breathes on in him and man becomes a living soul. It's the Holy Spirit that brought man into life. God's breath. And the very fact that we today are alive should make us realize that there is a living God present doing that much. And he does for us all the time as much as he can do because of what? What holds him back? A perverse will. A perverse will. If we had a will that was, was subject to God as Christ's will was, we would just grow up to the full stature of men and women in Christ Jesus. All parts of the human organism were put in action. The heart, the arteries, the veins, the tongue, the hands, the feet, the senses, the perception of the mind all began their work and all were placed under law. Man became a living soul through Jesus Christ. A personal God created man and endowed him with intelligence and power. Our substance was not hid from him when we were made in secret. His eyes saw our substance, yet being imperfect. And in his book all our members were written when as yet there was none of them. Now, remember that what God ordained to be done, had man never sinned, will be done through the agency of Christ through the work of redemption. And what man could have learned directly from God and being taught by God and learning of him through nature and face-to-face -face communion, now we have the privilege of learning. And the agency is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. I'll have to read this. 288, one more statement. This wouldn't be complete without it. This, this is this whole section on the essential knowledge. The fruit of the tree of life in the Garden of Eden possessed supernatural virtue. To eat of it was to live forever. Its fruit was the antidote of death. 
Its leaves were for the sustaining of life and immortality. But through man's disobedience, death entered the world. Adam ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the fruit of which had been forbidden to, he had been forbidden to touch. His transgression opened the floodgates of war upon our race. After the entrance of sin, the heavenly husbandman transplanted the tree of life to the paradise above. But its branches hang over the wall to the lower world through the redemption purchased by the blood of Christ, we may still eat its life-giving fruit. And one more statement, and this is volume 6, page 19, and uh, this goes, that was page 288 of volume 8, and this is volume 6, page 19. The word of truth, it is written, is the gospel we are to preach. No flaming sword is placed before this tree of life. No what? No flaming sword is placed before what? This tree of life. All who will may partake of it. There is no power that can prohibit any soul from taking of its fruit. All may eat and live forever. This is the tree of life. God's life is in it. The same power that was in the tree of life in the Garden of Eden is in His Word. And all may do what? Eat and do what? Live forever. It's by the Word that we become partakers of the divine nature. Someday, God's people are going to appreciate it, aren't they? This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.